Hello, everybody. My name is Dan Van Horn. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Baptist Church in Fairfield, Connecticut, and we want to welcome you to the TBC Provoke podcast. This is where we hope to stimulate, stir up, and provoke you to love and good deeds by taking the conversation we start on Sunday mornings and bring it into the middle of your week. Hello, everybody. This is Clayton, and welcome to another episode of the TBC Provoke podcast. It's season two, it's episode two, and this is a conversation with us and you. My oh. guest, as always, is Senior Pastor Dan Van Horn. Be Gates there, everyone. There we go. <laughs> there we go. German, uh, that'll make sense later on the podcast. Yeah, it will make sense later. Oh, I spoke some German this week. I met a dachshund named Penny. Yeah, und Penny ist ein Superhund. Yeah, it means Penny is a super dog. Wow. Uh, yeah. Penny was... So you spoke dog as well? No, no, I spoke German to the dachshund, but the dachshund's here in Connecticut. I probably, I don't know, maybe we're like reaching out to deep genetics. I don't know. Yeah, I hear you. Were you hungry for a hot dog after that? Uh, I mean, I'm always hungry for a hot dog. I... I really like hot dogs. Turns out, turns out my family, going back to the earliest instance of winters in my family line, we were Prussian. Really? Yeah. So part of the um, pre-unified Germany, uh, Germanic nations. And it was like 1892 is when... uh, uh, is when I can find the first record of a member of our family coming to the United States. And then after that, it gets a little confusing as to where they all went. But here we are today. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get one of those kits for Christmas? The, the genetic. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I will say, however, that, um, you know, knowing your story is important because it – and maybe this is tertiary to our conversation. Knowing your story, knowing where you came from is important. My my daughter learned about genealogy, and she was just amazed. She was like, wait a second. They're like detectives for, you, for your genes. I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. She just was so – she thought it was so cool. And uh, and to that point, my mother's side of the family for so many years, so many years, maybe going back 70, 80 years, uh, thought that we were all native, huh. that uh, that we had some Native American blood in us. And that's because, you know, because of our coloring and our hair and, you know, it's all these things. Yeah. And there were stories or like family myths about how we came to be. And uh they before my grandfather passed away, they did a genetic test, twenty three and me or something like that. Turns out they're Irish. Wow. Not native at all. Okay. Which uh but like point zero two percent Asian. And that's when my family was like, Oh, guess that's where the dark hair comes from. I was like, I just don't think that's I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. Hey, uh, you know what? At the very least, now we know who the one person from Ireland is that listens to this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one, one of my ancestors. It's one of my relatives. Yeah. yeah. 
which is which is awesome. <laughs> uh, which also my daughter loves. She's like, I've always wanted to be Irish, and I was yeah. like, I, I guess you are. I guess yeah, you cool. are Irish and Prussian. So, you know, that's that sounds great. Uh, potatoes and hot dogs, I guess, mm, is how yeah. it how it got got to us today. So this is our second episode of the year, and all January we're doing a Q and A. Right, mm-hmm. we're taking questions from folks who listen and from folks who don't listen. I've had some really good questions this week, uh, but in particular, I want to give a shout out to Donna Bryan because we had a conversation this week, and she said, "I just cannot wait for the podcast every every week." that it comes out. I'm so excited for it. So Donna, we really appreciate you listening. Thank you for engaging in dialogue with us in the community. And uh, we really appreciate, you know, your, your patronage, but also your passion for the Lord. So Donna, this one goes out to you, uh, but we're doing a Q and a, mm-hmm. and we've got a question this week. Yes, we do. We've got it. Actually, this question, this is fun. This is a question that comes from Tim in Blackrock. Tim in BlackRock, right? He asks uh, a question, which, by the way, I appreciate because he's thinking through uh, how do the scriptures connect together? How do they how how are they woven together? What happens in Genesis? How does that relate to what happens in uh, you know in Matthew or in the New Testament? Yeah, and and he he asks this. He said that in Genesis, God gives a promise to Abraham, and that promise is to bless uh, Abraham bless his descendants, the nation of Israel, uh, or what will eventually become the nation of Israel, and, and really to bless the world through him. And, and so uh, there's this, obviously, this promise of blessing. But there's also, in that promise, uh, a promise to curse those who curse the Israelites, curse the, the uh, nation of the people of God, right? And uh, what's interesting is he's asking this, uh, question about someone from history uh, that um, a man by the name of Martin Luther, who many of us know and understand uh, specifically in, in regards to the, uh, the Protestant Reformation, who nailed the 95 theses, the 95 kind of challenges to the ways that the Catholic Church was being abusive to uh, with its powers and its way of, of running the church. And so uh, he had some questions about Martin Luther's life. And he says, you know, given the fact that Martin Luther was so influential in the church, he was also a man who said some pretty, made some pretty grotesque accusations against the nation of Israel. And he said, is it possible that this man who was in it essentially cursing the nation of Israel for him also to be saved, for him to be saved by faith, which is one of the tenets of the Protestant Reformation is, uh, salvation by faith through uh, salvation by grace through faith, right? Um, is it possible for Martin Luther to be saved given the fact that he was so? I mean, he it was it's grotesque. I would I would affirm that Martin Luther's writings uh, against the the Jewish people was grotesque. Um, and, and one other piece that Tim kind of throws into the mix here is that uh, you know it doesn't the good things that Martin Luther did don't excuse him from, uh, you know, being under the judgment of God, right? So uh, he, he references a passage in Matthew where, um, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. 
And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. And, uh, and so Tim's point is, his question is, do we believe that Martin Luther is a saved man? Given the fact that he uh, he wrote all these uh, these very grotesque uh, things about the nation of Israel. Now, one more piece before we kind of launch into our own kind of understanding of the question uh, is a little bit of history, because Martin Luther is best known for his influence on uh, the reformation of the church, and uh, yet one of his uh, lesser known pieces is his relationship with the Jewish people. And uh, what I was able to learn about Martin Luther's life is that early on in his ministry, he was, he, he was a, a major advocate for the nation of Israel. In fact, he wrote an essay in 1523 called that Jesus was born a Jew, right? He, he was actually challenging how the nation of Israel was being treated, that the people of God were being treated by the Catholic Church. He was defending them. And, and, and he was doing so uh, in hopes that they, too, would come to put their faith in Christ. Fast forward 20 years, and he's finding that, they're, that the, the people that he had been in conversation with, the, the, the Jewish people that he'd been reaching out to and uh, trying to persuade to trust in the Lord, to trust in Jesus, were not trusting in Jesus. And that led to this, uh, the letter that he wrote, the, the teaching that he started off in uh, 1543, where uh, it, uh, the, the lesson of the essay was labeled, The Jews and Their Lies. So how do you go from this place that Jesus was born a Jew and supported the Jewish people to the Jews and their lies. And, and honestly, I, I don't want to repeat the things that he said because they were grotesque. But all that to say, Tim wants to know, between you and I, what do we think? Do we think Martin Luther was, was a man who yeah. uh, was forgiven and saved? Uh, I don't know. So we, I open it up there. Yeah. Well, I, and before, before I can even answer that question, there are actually questions inside of the question. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, it, looking at looking at Tim's question, he says in Genesis, God tells Abraham, whoever blesses Jewish people, God will bless them. Whoever curses them, God will curse them. OK, there's a question in there already, which is what is the covenant of God and who is it with or yeah. where is it with? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's the first question: uh, Is the covenant of God with a location, the nation state of Israel, the literal physical land? Is the covenant of God with the genetic heritage of Abram, uh, meaning ethnically Jewish people, or is the covenant of God with a spiritual? Israel, which mm-hmm. I would say the New Testament uh, brings into the conversation, right? Because, you know, 
Jesus says that those who are children of my father, like God can, God can make new, like new people spring up out of stones, mm-hmm. right? He can make them pop up out of the ground. We, we've seen, we've seen that happen in other stories in the scripture. Um, but that, that the, the nation of Israel is a spiritual nation. That's why you and I are included in the heritage of Christ. So mm-hmm. the very first question inside of Tim's question is with whom or with what is the, the covenant of God with? Where do the blessings go? Do they go to the land? Do they go to the ethnic Jews? Do they go to the spiritual Israel, meaning those in the covenant of grace? Like that's the first question. Mm-hmm. That's a huge question, right? In fact, cultural divisions have been fought over this question. Uh, government, uh, government agencies have been opened and closed around this question. There are, there are businesses and nonprofits and people who have dedicated their whole lives to how they understand this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, not to get too into the weeds, but you either believe that it is with the land and the ethnic Jews, or you believe it is with spiritual Israel. If you happen to believe it is with the land and with the ethnic Jews, then you sort of fall into this camp of Zionism, which is that the Mount of Zion is where God is coming back and we have to do everything to establish the land and the ethnic superiority of of the Jewish people. We have to bless them because it is the work of blessing the Jewish people that brings blessing into your life, which to me sounds like a works-based theology. You have to bless ethnically Jewish people and the land, the nation state of Israel, if you want God's blessing. Uh, The other side of that is that it is spiritual Israel that God is blessing. And And it is through that understanding that you and I can even hope to have relationship with God. Because, because if it's spiritual Israel, then then you and I can have a relationship with him. Yeah. But if it is if it is physical ethnic Israel, then you and I are still on the outside, and um and that might that might be, you know, like when Paul talked about rebuking Peter over over Peter's behavior with Gentiles and Jews, or even later when he rebuked the Judaizers who came to the Christians of the first century and said. You're not a believer unless you act and believe and behave like ethnic Jewish people. Mm-hmm. That's just the first part of Tim's question. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think you're right. And I think it is it lies in how you might answer the question of who is or what is Israel? Who is Israel? Uh, I certainly personally believe that the new Israel is Jesus. And so when, when we talk about in the new Testament, this idea of, uh, of being the body of Christ, the church that we are, we become a part of the new Israel through Christ in Christ. You know, it's not just a matter of, Hey, I believe with Jesus. And so one of the, the benefits of being a member of this club is that I am also a part of Israel. I'm actually grafted into the vine of Israel, right? Uh, in John 15, Jesus kind of, he refers to himself as the true vine. That imagery in the Old Testament was 
was some of uh, God's favorite imagery of, of referring to Israel. They're the vine that he planted. Uh, and so, you know, when Jesus says I'm the true vine there, he's making a statement. He's, he's this new Israel that, uh, that, that we're grafted into and grafted into by faith. Yeah. And so I, I think that that is, that's a, a pretty significant foundation when we think about Tim's question about Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. I mean, this man who, you know, advocated for burning synagogues and uh, burning down homes of Jewish people and, and beating up rabbis, uh, you know, he, he was someone who became, uh, uh, he's a theologian that became controlled by his passions, right? Yeah. Uh, he is a man with who, who uh, sin had a, played a major influence in his life. Yeah. And, and he would say with Paul, you know, uh, he, he would stand where Paul was when he said, you know, I'm the, the greatest of sinners. You know, I, I, I imagine Martin Luther would say that same thing. He, he would, uh, you know, he, his love for the Lord would, would lead him so far that he would advocate the very opposite of the grace of the gospel that Jesus came to save. So I, I think that there is a piece of this that is saying, uh, you know, who is Israel? The, uh, the new Israel is found in Christ and uh, that by faith. And so though what Martin Luther did was atrocious and wrong, he would not be evaluated based on what he did, but rather what he believed. And, uh, and, and I think we get to that from uh, connecting this promise in Genesis with Jesus's, uh, well, I shouldn't say, I think we're, uh, where we could go astray with understanding that outcome in Martin Luther's life, but is by connecting the promise in Genesis with Jesus's words in Matthew seven, right? Right. That that Jesus in Matthew seven is not talking about you know whether or not we uh, we did good things or bad things, but rather what's our relationship with the true vine? What's our relationship? How, how would you characterize your relationship with Jesus? Those people that he's talking about in Matthew seven, he says, uh, depart from me. I never knew you. Well, that right. idea of knowing Jesus is not a matter of, Oh yeah, I, I've heard of that person. It, it's a description of an, an intimate personal relationship, yeah. you know? Uh, and, and there's, there's people who love the benefits of God, but they don't love God himself. And I think that's what he's talking about. There is, there are these people that that uh, love the power, but but they, they don't they haven't committed to the relationship with Jesus, which, you know, yeah, I, I mean, and that that makes that makes answering Tim's question about Martin Luther hard because I can't see into Martin Luther's heart like God could. And, and to, right. Exactly. To evaluate his faith. Well, and that's and that's kind of what's going on with the pairing of both the question and then the the passage quote, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to do an analysis and in, in some sense, a qualification or a dequalification of Martin Luther's faith, mm-hmm. right? The question is, is he saved? And we're trying to figure out, is he saved based off of his works? Mm-hmm. Because we know that Jesus will say to some who thought they were doing the work of the kingdom, he will say, I never really knew you. Yeah. Right. And, and the works that we're looking at in particular 
are, you know, some of his destructive quotes and what, uh, what a lot of people would just point at and be like, that's anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, I don't know what Martin Luther was thinking. Maybe he thought he was in combat with a competing theology, a heresy of sorts, mm-hmm. right? Um, which reminds me of the story of the actual St. Nicholas, right? The mm-hmm. Greek saint who got into fistfights with heretics mm-hmm. in his in his local church. Yeah. Um, which is one of my favorite Christmas stories. I think it's awesome. Uh, but, you know, we know that to be a quali- to be qualified as a as a pastor as an elder as a leader of the community one of the qualifications is that you not be a man given to anger and that you not be prone to fighting mm-hmm. right that's pretty clear yeah now was he saved i don't know that we can say this was he possibly or should he possibly have been disqualified from being a um, a shepherd we might actually be able to come to a conclusion on that yeah, but but the case of his soul was he saved or not based on the fact that he said terrible things about ethnically Jewish people? I don't know, yeah. and, and here and here's here's why I don't know. Because in Hebrews we get this amazing list of the heroes of the faith. Was he in there? No, <laughs> no, he wasn't. It wasn't, I didn't know that was in the Bible, yeah. um, you know, and that's why I read the King James, because if English is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Right. <laughs> uh, but in Hebrews, we get this list of these amazing people of faith. Yeah. Some of them were prophets. Some of them were kings. Some of them were just in the genealogy of Christ. Uh, but one of those people is David. Yeah. And David is described in two phrases. He was a man of blood and a man after God's own heart. Yeah. Um, it's a great example. And, and Hebrews is like, David's waiting for the moment when Jesus comes and, and, and we speak about him and, and he is in the scriptures as being somebody who is a person of faith and is waiting for the redemption of the Lord. Like his position of salvation is unequivocally stated in the scripture that he was a man of faith and he's waiting for the redemption of the Lord. He's in Abraham's bosom waiting for Christ's return. Also, he committed adultery, murdered his neighbor, he started wars, he massacred nations, uh, he had to kill his own son, uh, he, he did so many terrible things in his life that God literally was like, like, you can't come to my, my house. Mm-hmm. Like, we're gonna, I'm going to build a house and I'm going to be there and you can't come because you just murder people. Right. And yet he's in the, he's in the hall of faith as a hero. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. How do you you handle that? (laughs) What about Martin Luther? I don't know, but what about David? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, I think what you said before really resonated with me, which is, you know, we may not be able to say definitively of the, the character of his faith, but we can, make some some uh some suppositions about whether or not he would still be qualified for uh the ministry that he was 
you know, that he was engaged in. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would agree. I think that that's, I think that that's true. I mean, um, one of Martin Luther's friends and another kind of influential person in the Protestant Reformation was Philip Melanchthon. And, and Philip Melanchthon said uh, that he basically was saying that, that Luther fell victim to, uh, to what is what he called the, the rabies of theologians, right? He, he, uh. he became this, this frustrated biblical scholar who just was, yeah. you know, was frustrated that people weren't, you know, um, just uh, being trans, not being transformed by his own teaching, but, but, but seeing what he saw in the word and, and, and living as a result of that. Um, and, and so, I mean, I can, I can empathize with that. Right. Uh, right. I, I, I hope I never, I never fall victim uh, to the same mistake but i think we all have to uh be careful that we don't fall victim to that same mistake uh you know that yeah. that, that we don't become so consumed with the ideas about god that we neglect the character the of god and the relationship with him through christ and so you know the question that was posed to us by tim I, it was a question i don't I, I i don't think we would presume to know where tim falls in this question but i love that he he came at this question and saying, yeah. you know, how how do we apply the word of God to our lives? What is what does the word of God say about the character of our lives? And I, I think that plays in, you know, yeah. substantially to the current events of our day. You know, that it's not right. just a matter of what you say in the pulpit, but it's a matter of how does the word of God transform your life and yeah. and how are you accountable to that? Uh, and this you you stated this earlier early in his tenure luther writes this treatise on on yeah. the jewish people yeah 20 years later mm-hmm. right a, a a lifetime of ministry later he is on uh, seemingly on the opposite side of the coin mm-hmm. uh we have seen this over and over again in the lives of so many believers, mm-hmm. uh, we even spoke about it. I mean, we could not, we could not have timed this. We could not have made this selection or, or this conversation happen, but we spoke about this on Sunday. And this is a thing that just keeps coming back to me in this season that Jesus says to his disciples, your spirit is willing but your body is weak. Mm-hmm. And so you sleep when you should be praying or you fail when you should be winning, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you sin when you should be abstaining. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And so at the end of his life, at the end of his career, when he should be spiritually resolute, mm-hmm. when he should be, you know, if he's had a 20 year relationship with the Lord and he, and he's, he should be more compassionate and more kind and more caring and more generous at the end of his life than he has ever been at any other part of his life, right? He should be more saturated in the nature of the kingdom than at any other time in his life. But he's, he is physically weak against the strength of his flesh. Yeah. That's, but, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I mean, that's, that's it. Yeah. That, that's, that's what's so scandalous about the Christian faith though, right? Because we, as human beings, I think we, 
most logically uh, connect with this idea of, uh, you know, actions and consequences to our actions, uh, you know, good and bad. Uh, you do this and here's the outcome of your actions. Uh, and yet grace says you deserve consequences, but you're not given those consequences. Well, I should say the grace of God says you deserve yeah. the consequences for your actions, but you're not, I'm not going to uh, lay those consequences down upon your life. Now, I think Martin Luther, I, this is, this is actually just uh, me. This is just my own thoughts. This is, I cannot say this is Dan now. Dan but, is riffing. <laughs> yeah, you, when you were saying, uh, you know, you think about how, the how martin luther lived by faith and going the distance finishing well you know that's that's something that we all want to do who are walking by faith is to finish well i think as you grow in faith i I was just we were studying this uh with the elders uh at our church and as you grow in faith you become and, and this has certainly been my experience more aware of my inabilities and my weaknesses and my failures but at the same time as the gospel's grace uh, has sway in my life, I'm also more aware of God's goodness and how great he is and how gracious he is to forgive me Yeah. as I become more and more aware of my own sin. And I wonder if that was true in Martin Luther's life. Like over time, he became, he came to a place of realization of how his passions ruled him. You know, his, his zealous, nature his zealous love for god uh led him to to places that he was ashamed of and yet the grace that he preached was true for him as well i don't know if that i don't know if that's actually true or not that was me speculating about his life but it's certainly true of the gospel and and the grace of god well that is and we have okay so you said this on sunday and i could not agree more that um Jesus is more, and this is something your your father was frustrated with. Jesus is a model, but he's so much more than a model, mm-hmm. right? Jesus is a model, but he's so much more than a model. If he's only a model, then we're in terrible, terrible trouble because right. who could live up to that? But if he is not just the model, but he is also the way, he's the key and the door and the shepherd and and the healer. And he, if he's all those other things, then we have hope. But to the point of zealousness, for our sake, Jesus included a zealot mm-hmm. in his disciples, right? Uh, uh, now, in Jesus's time, a zealot was somebody who was so, so wildly excited about military overthrow of the Roman government that the Jewish people were like, hey, man, you're far out. Barabbas was a zealot. He murdered folks. Mm-hmm. That's why he was on trial. And the people loved the zealot, hated Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus encounters a zealot, a guy named Simon. And what does he make Simon? A Christian. Yeah. Yep. He makes him in his image. And the power of Christ transforms the, z- the zealous passions that lead to, you know, these, these um, violent questions like Martin Luther is having, 
right? Like you say, he's so, he's so zealous for his thoughts that he says, burn down buildings, beat up people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet you cannot find in the life of Christ, those same calls. When, when Jesus says, I'm going to tear down the temple, what he's actually talking about is sacrificing his life. Yeah. Not destroying, not destroying buildings, properties, or or um, institutions. Right. He's saying, he's saying, be transformed into the image of the kingdom, and and I just go back to you know what you shared with us on Sunday, that as as we sort of soak ourselves in the life of Christ, that when our flesh becomes weak, we can lean on the thing that is unfailing, and that is the nature, the power, the relationship, and the truth of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, it's, it, it reminds me of Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2. He says in, starting in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is not in your own strength. This is not in your own ability. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace alone. Well, hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, I hope this provokes you unto good works, that as you hear and think about these things, that you would strike up these conversations with others, even if it's just to say, can you believe what those two knuckleheads said? (laughs) But it is our sincere hope that this conversation leaves Sunday and enters into your life where the boots are on the ground, it enters into your relationships, and it begins to shape and mold how you see yourself as a believer, but also how you see yourself as a part of this community. We love you. God bless.